Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor, especially if you're visiting us this morning. Our service will be led by our Minister Katrina, and everything we need to follow the service is both on our printed orders of service and on the screen. As you can see, communion will be at the heart of our service this morning, and as always, everyone who is trying to follow Jesus is invited to take part. If, however, you would rather not for any reason at all, just pass the bread and wine on to the person next to you. Also, as part of our service, we will welcome into covenanted membership of our church, Leslie and Alistair. Please stay if you can and have some tea or coffee at the end of the service. Then during this service, we'll be singing the Advent hymn, When Out of Poverty is Born, A Dream That Will Not Die. And Christian Aid have asked us to upload to social media uh, the recording of us singing this hymn in order to remind people around the world of the continuing problems of poverty, both in our own country and in others. So just keep in mind, we want our best singing for that particular hymn because it's going to be labelled Hillhead Baptist Church forevermore. And as you know, once something's on the internet, it's there forever. But in order to have more than just a kind of blank uh, label for our YouTube, we're going to take a photograph of everyone in the congregation at the end of the service. That's everyone who would like to be in a photograph. So um, after the benediction, before you go off to have your coffee, if you wouldn't mind, if you would like to be in that photograph, staying here in the suite, We'll get ourselves organised into a group shot. We'll have children and dogs at the front. Um, and I think that might make us stand out from other churches, actually, Rachel. <laughs> I think we might have only one dog participant, but never mind. Um, we'll take some photographs, and hopefully out of that we'll get one really nice photo of us all, um, which we'll upload along with the recording of us singing the carol. Thank you, Anne. I've noticed we've got a few folk just making their way, way in. We've got obviously lots of fun and games with traffic at the moment, but that's fine. A heads up, there are a lot of words in today's service. Um, so just kind of pace yourself because you might get a bit worded out. But our call to worship this morning is from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And it's one that is chosen for the season of Advent. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted from the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And so we're going to begin Advent by lighting our first Advent candle. There are some words for all of us to join in with, which some are on, this, on your sheet and some will appear on the screen. Um, it would have been an enormous service sheet if every single word was on it. Um, and the um, 
Adi and Moji and the children are going to help us with that. So I will say the words appear. Can't stand in front of the projector. That's going to confuse me completely. <laughs> I will say the words appear in yellow. If we could all say the words appear in white, then um, it will continue from there. With those who are poor, we believe in life before death. With those who have nowhere to lay their head, we believe in life before death. With those who cannot rely on governments or the world community to help them, we believe in life before death. The prophet Isaiah says, The Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces. And it will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. We light the first candle on our Advent ring to remember how all God's people around the world are watching and waiting for God's promises to come. Every year, we look forward to Christmas because of the life and hope that it promises. Every year, we realize that peace has not yet come to earth, and the suffering of those who are poor has not ended. Yet, we light our candle because we refuse to give up hope, and that hope is stronger than anything in the world. In our watching and our waiting, come, Lord Jesus. In our hopes and in our fears, come, Lord Jesus. In our homes and in our world, come, Lord Jesus. And so we sing for the first time this year's Advent Candle Song. down to Christmas and it's just very fortunate that Advent Sunday this year has landed on the 1st of December which means I'm not too late to give Advent calendars to small people to help them with the countdown so I wonder um, Ethan would you like to come and sorry Owen would you and Ethan is that, just got we just got Owen just got Owen would you like to come and collect one for yourself and one for Ethan Brilliant, thank you. 
And we've got David and Esther, who've just done some work for us, so that's brilliant. Would you two like to come and... Is David going to collect them? It's going to be a bit of uh, half a family at a time, isn't it? That's okay. So you can use these day by day to help you count down to Christmas. Um, Heather, would you like to take one for Kurt? He's in London. He's in London. Um, Neil, would you like to take one for Layla? Sarah and Freya, would you like to? You're not too big for advent calendars, are you? Never too big for an advent calendar. And we'll give one to Paul for Ailey. Now, I know we have a few folk who aren't able to be with us today, but hopefully we can get them posted out to them. So I hope you enjoy these Advent calendars. These are proper ones. I went to the Christian bookshop and I scooped up every Advent calendar they had, including these. I didn't even notice when I bought them that some of the ones in the Christian bookshop were just they're quite fun with sleighs and, and Christmas trees. But we have some that help us to reflect on the Christmas story as we go through um, the season of Advent, so that's great. So folks, this is your big moment to be stars of, well, not quite stage and screen, but at least (laughs) YouTube. So please do sing up, sing well. I think I might move so that I'm not behind this mic. That might be good, but uh, we invite you if you're able to stand with us as we sing lustily this really amazing Advent
because we've just had two more little ones come in, so I'm just going to give them some Advent calendars to take home with them. So as I've already noted, today we're going to have lots of words, lots of music, which is beautiful, lots of symbols. So I thought it would be quite helpful for me at least, and hopefully for all of us, that our opening prayers just gives us a few moments of stillness, time to be still and quiet and draw a little closer to the God who is with us and around us, even now. So can I invite you, please, to... Put down anything you've got in your hands and just get yourself comfortable in your chair, or as comfortable as is possible in these chairs anyway. If you prefer to stand or sit or kneel, that's absolutely fine. Uh, you might find it helpful to put your feet flat on the floor, but if that's comfortable, it doesn't matter. You might also like to place your hands loosely in your lap, but please, if that's uncomfortable for you, don't worry about it. And again, if it's comfortable, you might like to close your eyes and just take a few deep breaths as you allow yourself to become still and quiet. And so I invite you, if you can, and if it's not painful or uncomfortable, to turn your hands so that your palms are upwards. And to imagine that you are holding in your hands all the things that worry you. Anything that has hurt you. Or anything that's been a struggle during this past week. And that may feel very heavy. But it may not. And either is totally fine. And if you can, consciously turn over your hands, letting these feelings and experiences tumble into the hands of God, whose everlasting arms are always underneath you. And breathe in. And breathe out. And enjoy a few moments of release and relief. And now again, if you can, turn your palms upwards and either cup them or cradle them, one in each in the other, as if you're about to receive something very precious. You may like to reach forward your hands a little bit as if towards the God who longs to fill your hands with good things. Good things such as love, hope, peace, joy, rest. Breathe in and breathe out. Enjoy the moment, knowing yourself loved and accepted and blessed by God.
And now just relax your hands. If it helps to wiggle your fingers or toes or uh, adjust your position, that's fine. Become aware that we are together and that together as God's loved creatures, we offer our voices in the prayer Jesus taught us in the language and version that feels most normal for each of us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. So it's a very special day today, not just because it's the first Sunday of Advent, but also because Alistair and Leslie are going to covenant with us as members of our church here at Hillhead, which is really exciting for me, and I hope it's exciting for all of us. So Alistair and Leslie, would you like to come and join me at the front so everybody can see you? You don't have to look at them, but you know, <laughs> at least they can see you. 
So these are the words we use with all people who choose to covenant with us. And, and it's one of those things where if you say slightly the wrong words and you reply to the question, it doesn't matter. As long as I get the right words on my bit, or near enough, we'll be fine. In the name of our loving God, it is our joy to welcome Leslie and Alistair into the membership of this church. They've been disciples of Jesus for many years and are committed to serving God in this community. Today, we acknowledge and thank God for that commitment. So some questions for you. Oh, and on there, it's okay. It's the other ones there. Um, that's on there. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, your creator and redeemer, and the sustainer of all things? I do. Do you believe that God has led you to share in the worship, life, and witness of this local congregation? Will you share with us the gifts that God has given you so that together we may serve God in our local community and in the wider world? Yes. As Baptist Christians, we covenant together as a community of the disciples of Jesus Christ. Baptised into his name, we share the joys and responsibilities of fellowship. We gather for worship to discern the mind of Christ. Together, we seek to build the kingdom of God through prayer, witness, and service. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we seek to build one another up in love. Will you share with us in this common life and service, and will you walk together with us before God in ways that are known and yet to be made known? Thank you. Now, for those for whom this is your regular pace of worship, if you're able, would you please stand as we make our promises to Leslie and Alistair. Um, they're on the screen. They should also be on the sheets if you can't see the screen. Do you welcome Leslie and Alistair into the fellowship of this worshipping commu community? We do. This is our joy and our calling. God has given us the gift of Leslie and Alistair, and through them has given us gifts for ministry in the life and witness of this congregation. Will you support them in Christian service and in the responsibilities of church membership? We will. Thanks be to God. Will you pray for and encourage them through hospitality, friendship and prayer? We will. In the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to invite Anne in her role as church secretary to welcome you with the holy hug of fellowship. <laughs> if you could just wait there a moment, everybody else can sit down and then I'll just pray for Leslie and Alistair. I'm going to come around so I can get a shoulder on each of you, a hand on each of you. That's it. <laughs> Leslie and Alistair, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace this day and always. Amen. Right, now let's welcome them properly. And we're going to sing the hymn that Alistair and Leslie have chosen, but maybe Sunday school you'd like to drift off during that, otherwise you're not going to get much time for what you need to do. But please do come back at the end so you can be in the photo. Thanks.
we listen together for the word of God in scripture. First of all, from Exodus. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first of the months. You are to make it the first month of the year. Say to the whole community of Israel, on the 10th day of this month, let each man procure a lamb or a kid for his family, one for each household. But if a household is too small for one lamb or one kid, then taking into account the number of persons, the man and his nearest neighbour may take one between them. They are to share the cost according to the amount each person eats. Your animal, taken either from the sheep or the goats, must be without blemish, a yearling male. Have it in safe keeping until the 14th day of the month, and then all the assembled community of Israel must slaughter the victims between dusk and dark. They must take some of the blood and smear it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat the victims. On the night they must also eat the flesh roasted on the fire. They must eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. You are not to eat any of it raw or even boiled in water, but roasted, head, shins and entrails. You are not to leave any of it until the morning. Anything left over until the morning must be destroyed by fire. This is, in the, way, this is the way in which you are to eat it. Have your belt fastened, sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You must eat in urgent haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You are to keep this day as a day of remembrance. And make it a pilgrim feast, a festival of the Lord. Generation after generation, you are to observe it as a statute for all time. And then in the Gospel, as told by Matthew. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came and asked Jesus, where would you like us to prepare the Passover for you? He told them to go to a certain city with this message. The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I shall keep the Passover with my disciples at your house. The disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. In the evening, he sat down with the twelve disciples and during supper he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed at this, they asked him one by one, Surely you don't mean me, Lord? He answered, One who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man is going the way appointed for him in the scriptures. But alas, for that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. Then Judas spoke, the one who was to betray him. Rabbi, surely you don't mean me. 
Jesus replied, you have said it. During supper, Jesus took bread and having said the blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples with the words, take this and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and having offered thanks to God, he gave it to them with the words, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood, the blood of the covenant shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, never again shall I drink from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the kingdom of my Father. After singing the Passover hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. For the word of God through scripture, for the word of God amongst us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you can remember the very first time you received communion, how it felt, where it was, who was there. You may or you may not be able to remember that. I remember the first time that I received communion. It wasn't at my own church in the English Midlands. It was at a girls' brigade residential for New Year at Bexhill-on-Sea, which is on the south coast of England, in a place called Lake House, which was freezing cold. And I'd gone to attend this residential as part of my Gold Duke of Edinburgh's award. The church I belonged to was a middle-of-the-road United Reformed Church, where you had to be a member in order to receive communion. And I, 
aged 16 at the time, was not. So the service was going to be held in the lounge of the centre, and the day before, the Methodist deaconess who was going to lead it said, now you, you, everybody's welcome to receive communion tomorrow when we have this, this service. Other girls who were there came from Baptist churches and had all told us that they had been baptised. I didn't understand what that meant in those days, but hey. And there were girls from Anglican and Methodist churches who had been confirmed. And all of them fully intended to receive communion. Which left three of us, two of us from my church and another girl from United Reformed Churches, who had never yet received communion. And after much soul searching and a little bit of praying because I was very holy in those days, each of us individually opted to receive communion. And it felt really important, really special. I can still feel how it felt sitting in that freezing cold room on not terribly comfortable chairs in a group of about 25 girls. So all the singing was soprano and a bit of alto and sharing bread and juice together. And it was wonderful. Looking back, as I did this week, I think that's where my reflecting on communion and who should or should not be allowed to receive it began. I didn't realise that at the time. And it will be a long, long time before I thought about it in any depth today. The Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament as we know it, record a number of, well, in the translation Brian used, statutes, or in, a more, in other translations, and the word that sometimes affects the way we understand the rites we use in church, a lasting ordinance. These were rituals and festivals that people carried out because God had told them to. And the most important of these was the Passover festival, so important that it was almost a New Year festival. You, had, you began your year, and the first festival you had was the Passover, when you called to mind the story of how your ancestors had been slaves in Egypt and how God, in this special way, had brought them out. And on the night before they escaped, they had shared in this special meal and Jews to this day continue to hold this as a very, very important memorial festival. <laughs> it's done in homes. It's not done in synagogues and churches. It's done around a table eating a meal of lamb and bitter herbs and flat bread. It's such an important statute, such an important ordinance that Jesus and his friends shared in it each year. And so it is that in the Gospels we read how on the night on which he was arrested, though nobody would have known that at the time, Jesus and his friends shared the Passover. And what Jesus does is to twist it and say that it refers to himself. And so there is a parallel in the symbolism between the Passover and the communion. And Jesus himself said, and the Apostle Paul reminds us, when you break bread, when you drink wine, remember me. In other words, this is a new statute, a new ordinance, a new command to his followers to do this thing and to remember. 
it's no secret, because I've said it many times over the year, years, that I have a memorialist understanding of communion. That the primary re reason for me that we share in this token feast is because Jesus told us to. I should probably preface this by saying where there are two Baptists, there are three opinions. So what I say may well not be the opinion of anybody else in this place, and that's fine. But I don't believe anything supernatural takes place. I don't see breaking bread and drinking wine as a means of grace, if by that we mean, and this is the usual understanding, at least in sacramental theology, it is a ritual or an act through which God's grace will be received, brackets, if rightly administered and or rightly received, close brackets. That doesn't mean that I think other people are wrong, and it doesn't mean that I don't think grace is involved in all of this. But I think it's fair to say that in all traditions, including Baptists, we have made communion something very different from what Jesus had in his head 2,000 years ago. But however we do it, and however we understand it, the main reason we do so is because Jesus told us to. Again, this is a story that's familiar to some of you, so I make no apologies for repeating it because it's a significant story in my life. The second year of my ministerial training, I worked in a Roman Catholic church in the Diocese of Salford in a place called Swinton, and I went to Mass three times every Sunday for which read between sundown on Saturday and midday on Sunday. Roman Catholic canon law, which I studied very carefully, technically makes provision for anybody to receive communion who's prevented from attending their own church. The reality is that in most churches, only baptised Roman Catholics are allowed to receive the communion. Though it would be unfair not to note that there are a lot of priests who kind of operate a don't ask, don't tell policy. In other words, if you don't tell me you're not a Catholic, I won't ask. And if you don't ask me if you can receive, it'll be okay. But the reality was, I was there officially as a Baptist minister in training. So I couldn't get around the fact that I was excluded from communion. And that hurt. It hurt three times a Sunday, every Sunday, for a whole academic year. And I used to sit in my pew near the back and look around at who was taking communion and who wasn't taking communion, reflecting on what it was all about and why the rules had been created as they were. It struck me as very strange that seven-year-old children who had been involuntarily baptised as infants and had attended a series of classes were allowed to receive communion even though they couldn't be confirmed for several years to come. It struck me as inherently wrong that a devout but divorced Roman Catholic mother was denied communion. And I became angry. There is no nicer word for it. When a man was denied communion at the funeral mass of his own son because he was a Methodist. Now, I do get that there is internal logic to the practice, 
that sees baptism and communion as sacraments and understands sacraments as means of special grace through which God is compelled to act, provided they are correctly administered to the right people by the right people. And that's not me misunderstanding Catholic theology, that's me reporting the Catholic theology I studied at the time. Put very crudely, grace comes in flavours and can only be administered through the correct pipes or channels. But it actually made me stop and think. As a convinced ordinance theology, I need to understand better how other people understand these rites and to learn with and from them. And so I did a lot of work on ordinance, ordinances and sacraments. I'm not going to go through this because we don't really have time. But there is a range of views, ranging from the kind of Thomas Aquinas view, which is over on the left, where you get the Roman Catholic and Orthodox understanding that there are seven sacraments, of which you can only ever have six in the Roman Catholic Church, because one of them is holy orders and one of them is holy matrimony. You're not allowed both. That's not meant to be a diss of Catholic um, understanding. That's just a, a fact. So um, baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, um, reconciliation, marriage, holy orders, and blessing of the sick. Those are the, the seven sacraments. In a lot of Protestant churches in the West, there are two sacraments, which would be baptism and communion. We would see marriage as a rite of passage. Some may or may not have confirmation, but it's kind of seen as not quite a sacrament in the same way. In other churches, there's a more memorialist view, so we say there's two ordinances, and that would be a Zwinglian view. Zwingli was a, a, a Reformation theologian. So you've got A to Z, Aquinas to Zwingli. But it goes further, because there are some traditions who do not have any of these things. The Salvation Army don't have them, and that is historically because they were never meant to be a church. They were a kind of missionary outreach thing of the Methodist church. So they didn't need to do baptisms and, and, and communion because you'd go back to church for that. But of course, over time, they became an entity in themselves. So most salvationists are not baptized. Most salvationists do not practice communion, but a few do. And then beyond that, there's an idea that actually... The whole of the universe is sacred. The whole of the universe is sacramental, if you like. And that's a view held by Quakers. I have to confess, I really like that one. And I don't really like the line. I find the line is unhelpful because it tends to push us with opposing views. So when I was doing my undergrad studies, I came up with my little circle that said, there are different ways we may understand these. We may say there are seven or two, we may say they're sacraments, we may say they're ordinances. We might not actually do anything. We might think the whole universe is sacred and special. And that, for me, is more helpful because it says it's all part of a whole. It's not a polarised thing. It's, well, these are all valid. They're all valid. None of us have fully got a monopoly on what's right. It would be fair to say that I don't have a sacramental view. I don't use the term sacraments if I'm talking about these rites. But that's okay if other people do. 
So what does it all mean in practical terms? All of this, the stories and the theology, because they have to go together. How I read scripture, what I experience in my life, what I study that other thinkers have thought. This is what it means for me. It means I cannot refuse to serve anybody. I cannot and will not exclude from the Lord's table anyone who seeks to receive. I can't put a limit on the age or the understanding or the perceived righteousness or the expressed faith of those who receive because actually it's between each, each person and with God. The reality is it means if I create a liturgy, and I create most of the liturgies used in this church, they will have a memorialist tone. And if I'm doing it, you won't get an epiclesis prayer where the minister or the person calls down God's spirit to do something, either to the bread and wine or to the people. I don't do that because it's not consistent with my understanding, not because it's wrong. But it also means I don't think I've got it sorted once and for all. I can delight in sharing in liturgies that have a different theology, so long as it's in a context where I and others are welcome and accepted. One of my favourite books is a book called Our God Has No Favourites, and it was written by two Roman Catholic women. Certainly one of them was, one may have been high Anglican. But their view was we should stop doing this until we can all meet round the table. We should stop doing this. And in one way, that's really attractive. But it also means we risk missing out. So we seek, as best we can, to hear what Jesus said to his followers. The Jesus who served Judas and Peter one who would betray him, one who would deny him, and the others about whom we do not know what they, they reacted. And he entrusts us to carry on living that memory as we do this, whether weekly or monthly or occasionally. And so let's sing a hymn about this. An upper room did our Lord prepare. And in this you will find language of sacrament and of ordinance. Thank you. 
Let us pray. God, give us light for our daily living. God, help us to show our light to others. God, shine your light on the homeless. God, shine your light on the poor. God, shine your light on those in great poverty. God, shine your light on those who show deeds of kindness to others. God, shine your light on the work of different organisations helping the vulnerable in society. God, we know your light is all over the world, but forgive us as we find it at times hard to comprehend. <coughs> Today we pray for the Baptist churches in Stirling, Stonehaven, Stranraer and Strathendrick. Stirling and Stonehaven have new ministers and we would ask thee to help them in the challenges that will be before them. All churches are working hard to reach out to their <coughs> communities and would ask thee to bless them in this work. And now we come to our own congregation. <coughs> Let us give thanks for our manager's court and all those who are serving at the moment, Katrina, Katrina H, Addie, Emma, Graham, Holly and Jeff, and would ask that your light and guidance is with them at monthly meetings. Amen. Some of you may remember that we are experimenting by borrowing from our Catholic and Episcopal stroke Anglican friends the practice of the year's mind. And we're going to do that each Communion Sunday where we can give thanks to God for those we remember who have died around this time of year. Loving God, we recall with gratitude those who have gone before us thinking especially of Robin Ray, who has recently died. And of those whose anniversary of death falls around this time, especially remembering Althea Blacker, Ailey Benson and Katie Hogg. May we and know those who have known and loved them find that our memories comfort and console us. And may your promises give us hope and strength for our own continuing lives. Amen.
What happens when a Baptist ordinance theologian meets an Anglican sacramental liturgy? Well, the answer is that God's spirit wisdom works to enable a true mystery of grace that goes beyond labels, beyond forms and traditions, in which all are welcome to share around this table, in this place, at this time. Because it's not about my faith, or your faith, or even about our faith, but about God's everlasting faithfulness. For this is the Lord's table, and it's Christ who bids us welcome. So come, let us share together. The Lord is here. God's Spirit is with us. Let us lift up our hearts, minds and voices. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to our loving, living God. It is right to bring our thanks and praise. It is indeed right. It is our duty and our joy at all times and in all places to give you thanks and praise. Holy Parent, Heavenly Ruler, Almighty and Eternal God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. And so, with the angels and archangels, with the great cloud of witnesses who went before us, and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your glorious name, singing. of the Apostle Paul. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. <coughs> Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so mindful of these challenging words, as we prepare to share this bread and this wine, we seek God's forgiveness and peace. So here is bread. And we break it. And we share it. And we remember. And here is a mystery that however we understand or don't understand, God is with us. Here is wine. And in good Baptist tradition, we've poured it into little cups. And we will hold those cups. Because in good Baptist tradition, we've made a new symbol from an old one. That in the drinking together, we symbolize our unity. That in Christ, we are all one. That discerning the body of Christ is about recognizing each other as his body here. And so we will hand out the glasses and I ask you to retain them so that we can drink together. As the scripture reminds us, we are the body of Christ and every one of us has a part in it. So let's drink together and remember.
incomprehensible, uncontainable God, grateful for the ways in which we have glimpsed or felt your presence here. We ask you to bless us as we go on our way to walk together in the footsteps of Jesus this Advent season and always. Oh.